Well, good afternoon to our listeners here on uh, Life FM. And yes, it is Alida Robinson and Pastor Samuel Chisichetti from A Reasonable Christianity. And this is Q&A with Samuel. Good afternoon, Samuel. Hello, Alida. How are you going? <laughs> I'm going really well. Praise Jesus. Yeah, I just... Um, I'll just make sure that your microphone is uh, working nice and high. There you go. Um, it's a bit chilly in the studio here this morning, but anyway, we're um, we're warming up eventually. <laughs> now, Jesus. That's right. Now, for our listeners that like to see this live, we are streaming live, or we will be as soon as that gets kicked up um, on Samuel's um, Facebook page. So if you want to go to that, then you can actually see his smiling face while he's chatting, <laughs> and uh, and you might even get a tour of the studio, and you'll also uh, you'll get some one-on-one from him during the breaks. So yes. uh, hopefully you can join us. But we have Samuel been talking about the gifts of the spirit. We have indeed been answering that question. Yes, and you um, you've covered the gifts of knowledge, which is wisdom, knowledge, and discerning of spirits last so, week. Yes, so gifts of revelation. Regrets of revelation. Yes, sorry, yes. yes. Um, and today you just want to sort of round that off a bit so that because those are the, th- the sorts of things where you're actually hearing something yes. or receiving something. So you're going to talk today about how do you actually hear the voice of God and then how do you know that it is God's voice? Yes, that's exactly right. And now we, um, you know, when we, we started looking at, at this, the, the, a sub-question was raised in terms of, well, okay, well, if, if uh, God is going to open the curtain, so that's the gift of revelation, it's going to open the curtain and show me what's behind the curtain, uh, communicate with me, so to give me word of knowledge or give me word of wisdom or discernment of spirits, how does that uh, come about? How do I hear from God? And so as we were going toward the last segment of the or la- last Sunday, uh, we hadn't addressed that question uh, fully. So uh, I, I thought we, we, it's good for us to be able to address that. Mm. But I wanted to sort of, uh, you know, actually make make a note. Uh, for those who have been uh, following us, we did basically, you know, put these the, the nine gifts, at least that uh, Paul is enumerating in First Corinthians chapter 12 here. Uh, we had, uh, from verse 1 to verse 11, uh, he, we had put them in subcategory. Yeah, you say gifts of revelation, gifts of power, which we will look at today, and then the gifts of of speaking or vocal gifts. And if you're wondering which one of those, revelation is word of knowledge, word of wisdom, and discernment of spirit. And gifts of power is faith, healing, healing, and uh, gifts of healings uh, and working of miracles. So that's gifts of power. And gifts of uh, speaking gifts or vocal gifts, uh, that is speaking in tongues, interpretation of tongues, and prophecy. Mm. Now, when you look at these gifts, the first subset and the last subset, so six gifts in total, he involves communication. Mm. He involves God communicating with us, to us. And so in that sense, therefore, the question to how does God communicate with us is very, very important. Yes. And so we wanted to answer that question as, as fast and as quickly as we can. Now, when you notice, uh, as I said earlier, when the Apostle Paul talks about these gifts, he was not, as he's talking to the Corinthians, he was not bothered to explain to them how. How did they receive word of knowledge? You know, he said to the one who's given word of knowledge, word of wisdom, and so on. He didn't tell them how they receive it. You know why? Because that was not the question. He, you know, They knew they were, you know, aware 
Uh, it's gifts that they were already operating in. They were receiving words of, words, words of knowledge and word of wisdom. Uh, they were speaking in tongues in that church. And so he did not need to tell them, this is how you receive it. Now, because of us, we are not in that space uh, at the moment. And some of you know these uh, gifts have been either neglected or spoken against you know, or outright misunderstood. So we have the question where many people don't know how do we hear from God. Now, the the, the thing to therefore do that, because God is going to speak to you, uh, I started to, uh, you know, highlight certain things that I think our listeners need to keep in mind. Because when somebody says, how do I hear from God? How do I know it's God who's speaking? Yep. Those are the two fundamental questions, right? Yeah. So let's start with every communication. Let's say, Let's talk with the divine communication. One of the reasons why many people do not, uh, you know, pay attention or consider that God could speak to them from those who are unbelievers to even those who are believers is because uh, sometimes we're a bit terrified to what he would say. If I have to come to the point that God does speak, you know, will he, you know, correct me? Will he? It's a bit of a scary place. Okay. Uh, it's even one of the reasons why some unbelievers don't even want to open the Bible. I mean, we go out and we're basically giving, you know, Bibles out. And you, someone says, no, nah, no, nah, not interested. We're like, have you ever read this book? No, nah, no, nah, I, I don't want to read it. Mm. Well, somebody's portrayed the Bible to them as either a book of myths or a book, you know, written about a God who's so angry up there, you know, with a big stick waiting around the corner to give you a good one if you stray from the straight and narrow path. Yeah. So that image of a God who is not loving and not merciful and so on and so forth, he's terrifying to people. So let's set the first building block of hearing and listening to what God has to say is to remember that God is love. Yeah. God is love. And, you know, my, my mentor used to say to us uh, when we were you know, growing and learning, uh, you know, walking in the prophetic and the gifts of the Spirit, to say every single word you can receive from God must and will always be, uh, you know, confined within the scope of John 3.16. For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten Son. Mm. Even when the Lord corrects us, he does it because of his love and kindness. Mm. So God is love, and love the love of God has moved him to give. So God will give, and the giving of God is for our good, for life, so that we will have life, life eternal. That's why it's for God so love the way he gave his only because son. So that's number one. Remember, when even if it was a correction that comes from God, it is our love. In fact, the book of Hebrews chapter 12 says it is in, as a good father uh, who corrects. is a, a father who doesn't correct his children then doesn't love them. Love brings about correction. Mm. So, but not that every time God is just waiting there for a correction. No, he actually bestows his love upon you. He's done that by sending his son, Jesus Christ. So remember, God is love. Point number one. Yeah. Whenever God speaks, it is his love that speaks. Number two, God is gracious. Okay, God is gracious. What does that mean? Grace means this unmerited favor we receive from God. God gives us favor that we have not merited. If we merited it, then it is no longer a favor. So God is gracious. He gives us his grace. And in that sense, even if we mess up, even if we stumble and fall, many people are scared 
to the idea they could hear from God. What if they mess up? What if they don't know? You know, what if they give a word it wasn't from God? People are terrified. Okay, mm-hmm. and I say no. Look, I, I said in my introductory note on the church in Corinth that I thank God for the Corinthian church. Why? Because in their messing up, mm-hmm. we have ended up learning. God is not just waiting with a stick. If I give you this gift, you've got to perfectly operate it. You can't make any mistakes. And it is actually my invitation to church leaders and and, and mature Christians to be able to extend the same grace to the brothers and sisters who make mistakes in the process of learning how to operate in the things of God. Yeah. Okay? Think about the way we do with our children. When they start to walk, the first step they take, we don't think they must just run and run perfectly. When they stumble and fall, what do you do? You grab them by the hand and go, hey, hey, it's okay, darling. This is how you do it. You stand up, try again, try again. And over a period of time, it's called failing forward. Jesus isn't scared of people making mistakes. Did you see how many mistakes Peter did? Yeah, that's right. Huh? Yeah. How many mistakes did Peter did? How many times did you know the disciples sometimes went and did the wrong thing? They found people baptizing in his name. They shut these people down. Do you shut up? We don't, you know, we're the only one, right? And so what happens after that? Jesus calls them and says, No, if they're not against us, they're for us. Just leave them alone. All right, the sons of Zebedee goes and they start to bargain, you know, the infighting There's the messiness. The Bible doesn't hide it. Mm-hmm. You see, the gospel of Mark should normally be called the Gospel of Peter because it was Peter's sermons that Mark wrote down. But you notice even in the Gospel of Mark, Mark tells us when Peter failed. Yes. You see, these people were not insecure and unable to tell us when they failed. The Bible is full of stories of people who have failed and God didn't hide it from us so that we can know that we ourselves, we cannot set a bar like unless I can do it perfectly without failing, I can't try. Yeah, and it was the way that they uh, responded to their failure and how they came back to God and, and repented. That's exactly that, right. That is the lesson that we learn. Yes. Mm. If you start new in the walking in the gifts, please, please, you need to be teachable. Yeah. Let your spiritual leaders guide you slowly. So it's one of the reasons many churches have shut the gifts down is because they're too scared of the mess. There's yeah. too much yeah. <laughs> messiness. So mm. let's settle that. Number three, God is merciful. Mm. Okay, God is merciful. So, to not repeat myself, if you mess up, the mercies of God will cover you. Now, having said those three things, now I want to get back to when you are communicating with someone, you need to have the same frame of reference. Mm. Okay? Yeah. I'm a very practical, pragmatic person. If you're going to communicate with somebody, you need a frame of reference. So those who were with us at church on Thursday, they are, I was talking about this, and, and I did uh, give uh, one of my most favorite examples. You know, I, 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 learned, I, you know, I learned English self-taught in, in, the, in the Congo. Then I went to the UK. I went to the university there uh, in the UK before I came to Australia. You know, when I met Melissa, she spoke English. I spoke English. We communicated, no problems, until I moved to Australia. And then I found out that she had some other language she spoke, which was called Australian <laughs> that yes. I had never heard of. <laughs> uh-huh. So here we are, newlywed. We're in Brisbane. We're driving down the road. She says, Chaka Yui. I'm driving. So she, you know, we were supposed to go south and I'm heading north. She says to me, Chaka Yui. And I'm like, whatever that was, I have no idea. I continue to go. She says the second time, Chaka Yui, please. 
Now, I could have said, what do you mean? Okay, well, she's there next to me talking to me. Now, I just ignored it. Some people are like, God speaks, you don't understand, you just ignore, <laughs> right? <laughs> I just ignored it. Yeah. I continued to go, and then she went, make you turn. <laughs> <laughs> I turned to her and said, would you speak English please? <laughs> well, at least you got it the third time around. The third time when she yeah. said it in English. But <laughs> the first time she, <laughs> she said it in English. So the first two times she said it in Aussie, yeah. you know? Yeah. So I didn't have the mm. same frame of reference. Mm. Therefore, whatever she said, not that she didn't say, she did, but I missed it. Mm. Because I didn't have the same frame of reference. Like, you know, come to Australia, you have terminology like flat out like Eliza drinking or, you know, this is fair dinkum. You know, like, like you try to say fair dinkum to an American, they have no idea what that is. So we need <clears throat> to know that to hear from God, clearly, you need the same frame of reference. What is our frame of reference? Scripture is the frame of reference. Mm. Hebrews chapter 1, uh, verse 1 or 2 you know, in the past, God spoke us through his, the prophets, and in his last days, he's spoken to us through his son, okay? The very radiant of his person. So, Christ has come, and we have, you know, him as the word of God. Yeah. But also, we have had the Bible written. So, remember what Christ taught to the apostles, and they recorded, we've got the eyewitness account. We've got all the letters of the apostles written with Acts of the Apostles. And so we we have the New Testament. But also, remember, Christ, Jesus is a Jew. Yes. We don't pluck him out of his context. He's Jew. He's, he's not an American. Exactly. He's, <laughs> not, he's American. not Nazi. He's not Nazi. <laughs> and so we have the Old Testament from which the Lord read, by the way, Christ's justification, his arrival, his work, everything was from Moses all the way through the prophet and, and so on and so forth, mm. and the writings. So, that's our frame of reference. Mm. Every child of God who wants to hear from God need to be filled with the understanding of our frame of reference. Mm. If God is going to speak to you, he will use the frame of reference first. Scripture is the foundation. Scripture is the authority. So you need to know how not only to read your scripture, you need to know how to analyze it, understand its message, its context. I cannot emphasize this enough. Any child of God who wants God to speak to them, don't concoct the language of your culture. Don't think in your head, whatever, I'm going to, no, no. God speaks and you must have the frame of reference. You must understand biblical terminologies, biblical language, biblical message, so that when God speaks to you, he's not going to speak in a vacuum. Mm. If somebody said to me, well, I, I, I want God to speak to me, I'm like, go get your Bible. Mm. If you're like, but it's too big, I don't know how to read. Well, let somebody at your church, leaders, let them teach you how to properly read the, the scriptures and so on. You do that. Now, let's settle that. Now, here's the next step. Now, whenever God speaks, the language that is used, the Hebrew Bible was written in pictorial language. Words that are written in the Hebrew Bible, in Hebrew language, we started pictorially first. Uh, you know, I've been studying, you know, Hebraic you know, pictorial language. You find extraordinary stuff when you start to, to, uh, to, to study this. So, because language is pictorial. Yes. Even our English language is pictorial. Yeah. When I'm speaking to you, if I say cat or I say dog, you don't see letters D-O-G. Mm. It means nothing to you. 
But you see the picture. You must have a frame of reference of a picture of what the dog is. So when I say I've got a dog, it's a Labrador. I don't have a dog myself, but <laughs> if somebody says I've got a dog, it's a Labrador, it's sort of creamy white, you can have a picture directly. So we talk pictorially. So God speaks to us pictorially in visions and dreams. Mm. You know, Job 33, verse 14, uh, 13, 12, 13, 14 says, God speaks one way or the other, especially in dreams and visions that people don't pay attention. So remember that what we've highlighted so far, scriptures and pictorial speaking. God speaks through pictures. It's All right, and we'll, uh, we'll continue. And this is Q&A with Samuel Chizuketi. And we have just started talking about how you can hear the voice of God. Mm. And Samuel, you said that, um, scripture, that scripture needs to be our frame of reference and that That's God will speak through his word. Yes. And he will speak in context of what is already set out in scripture. That's exactly right. And then God also speaks to us in dreams and visions. He does. Because we are pictorial people. We are pictorial. Yes. So you are going to keep going on that. And so you will notice that, you know, before anybody thinks about, you know, visions uh, uh, that, you know, you receive in an instant while your eyes are open, because vision uh, is not necessarily to do with uh, your physical eyesight, even though sometimes God will use uh, certain signs in nature to be able to continue to give a message. So there are a number of ways God does this. But let's start with, you know, visions of the night, dreams and visions Mm -hmm. of the night. Think about, for example, um, you know, very often when God has spoken to people, if the kind of thing that he has spoken to them that has changed the destiny of, of, of nations, including, uh, it has been through dreams. Yeah. Let me, I'm just going to grab the first example I gave you from Old Testament. You know, the story of Joseph. Joseph became, you know, the savior, if you will. The Bible, actually, the psalmist calls him the Messiah of the nation of, of, of Israel as he headed into Egypt. And then he ended up being basically the person, you know, some say prime minister, but the person who was second after Pharaoh mm. in authority in organizing the economics of Egypt in a time of calamity. Now, how did Joseph basically get there? Number one, Joseph had a dream. Mm. The first dream had his brothers and the sheaves of, you know, wheat in the field. The second one was the sun, the moon, and, and the 11 stars. You know, dreams. They had dreams. And you see, his dad consider the dreams he had. Many of us, we have dreams we don't even, oh, it's just, oh, it was just a dream. We've grown into a culture that basically dismissed dreams so that even God, if I wanted to speak to you in a dream, well, you already have decided to dismiss dreams. How are you going to, you know, it's like, you know, he's not going to talk to you in a way, in a way you've already dismissed. Mm. So Joseph was spoken to in a dream. So yeah. This is an example. And how did Joseph end up leaving the, the jail, you know, Pharaoh's jail? The two people who had dreams, the butler and the cupbearer, you know, those two people had dreams and Joseph interpreted them. And that basically gave him the promotion. How did God, you know, save Egypt from famine? Dream. Pharaoh had one, right? Dreams. Very important. God does because through dreams. Now, as I said, remember, frame of reference, you know, you got what you see in a dream with your understanding of biblical text and biblical symbolism and everything else will help you understand what God is ex- exactly speaking. It's okay sometimes you get a dream, you don't know what it does. Even though God spoke, the meaning was the dream, of the dream was not as clear. Remember Pharaoh, remember Nebuchadnezzar. He has a dream, but he does not know exactly what the dream means. Mm. 
Now, God speaks to dream. How did Solomon get all his wisdom? He went and prayed and asked God. He prayed and he went to sleep and God showed up in his dream. And he said, all right, what do you want me to do? And God is like, well, you know, give me wisdom so I may be able to lead the people. I said, okay, well, since you didn't ask me for wealth and fame, I'm giving you wisdom plus wealth and fame. So the man became the wealthiest and the most famous and the wisest. I mean, so far, Solomon is recognized to be the wisest man who's ever lived. Mm -hmm. How did he receive the wisdom? In the dream. Let me move very quickly into the New Testament. How did Jesus get saved from the, you know, the plot by Herod to be to kill him? Dream. Mm. I can go on and on and on about this. An angel of God appeared in a dream to Joseph. How did you know God keep Joseph next to Mary so that he doesn't chuck her out and then she's going to end up being, you know, lapidated or stoned uh, because she had gotten pregnant without having known a man? How, how does it happen? An angel of God showed up to Joseph in a dream. Yeah. And so if you just stepped and saw some person, you know, wearing white and come and tell you, get up this morning, go around that bush and start digging. There's something there. Would you take him seriously? Like, oh, that's what a silly dream. Okay. So God does speak through. However, that would be a great dream to have. <laughs> it would be, especially yeah. if you considered it. <laughs> especially so, if there was something great that's exactly behind the tree. Right. And... Then, so that's dreams, and yeah. there are visions. Uh, you know, can sometimes be you know you know confused with dreams. Visions are not really when you're asleep. But those one, the dream can be called in Hebrew terminology, visions of the night. In other words, you're asleep, oh, and yeah. so in that sense. But yeah. often, visions are happen when you're in a sort of half awake, half asleep state, or sometimes wide awake. You just awake and you get a vision. In that sense. Uh, let me give you a quick, cause, because of time, uh, how did the gospel go to the Gentiles when, you know, Jesus, uh, Jesus decided, oh, it's time for the Gentiles to come into the fold. He had to go through the chief apostle, that's Peter. And how did Peter, you know, come to that conclusion? He was on a terrace and he was basically just, uh, just, just closing his eyes. He was not really asleep. And suddenly he sees this vision of a cloth that opens up right in front of him. Act of the Apostle chapter 10, and he opens in front of him, and he sees all these beasts that, you know, he, and he hears a voice saying, kill this and eat. I'm like, well, I can't eat that. I'm a Jew. This is unclean. And the Lord said, no, 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 don't call unclean what I've called clean. Hmm. And then the vision then goes on as he wakes up, and then he gets then, uh, you know, further explanation. Hey, look, you know, God is calling the Gentiles into the fold. By the way, you know, somebody's going to come looking for you. They're coming for Cornelius' house. And so, in that sense, the vision opens the floodgates for the angel to talk to Peter. Yeah. Okay? So, you can see that kind of... I was, I was actually going to pick up... He's a... He's a this one still speaks of uh, dream in the night or vision in the night. Uh, uh, Paul, in Acts chapter 18, verse 9. Acts 18, verse 9 to 11. Uh, Paul has a uh, a vision. Um, and let, let me just read that real quickly. Uh, so that that gives a bit just um, a bit of an, a quick idea here. Let me read. Um, then Paul left the synagogue and uh, what am I reading? Act eighteen. That's it. Uh, Paul left. I'm um, starting from verse seven so that we have a bit of context. And went next door to the house of Titus Justus, a worshipper of God. Crispus, the synagogue ruler, 
and the entire household believed in the Lord. And many of the Corinthians who heard him believed and were baptized. So the Corinthian church and, you know, Jews there, people who were, you know, rulers at the synagogue. One night, the Lord spoke to Paul in a vision. Mm. Do not be afraid. Keep on speaking. Do not be silent. For I am with you and no one is going to attack and harm you because I have many people in this city. So Paul stayed for a year and a half teaching them the word of God. You can see God speaks to Paul. Paul stayed there because God told him in a vision, hey, stay here. Yeah. So we need to pay attention uh, to, you know, dreams and visions. And the visions, because I said that God speaks to you pictorially, you can uh, have, you know, a moment where you are fully awake, but suddenly you see a picture that just simply passes through. I gave, I gave, I gave an, an example, um, it is on a you know, personal life example. Um, probably church, you've heard me give me give this example. Uh, the Lord gave me a, a picture of, of a young lady that I was guiding and leading at the church at the time uh, in the Congo, and uh, to warn her of a relationship that she was having, which was going to end up with her being pregnant and the gentleman not taking responsibility. So she's going to be a single mother. It was going to derail her life. Um, so what happened um, uh, is that. Um, so in that in that those moments, what I saw was I just saw a picture. I saw a picture of her being dressed sort of um, sort of want to say it in a in a way that is um, a lot more uh, you know. She was dressed like okay, let's say she, it's like she was dressed in lingerie, you know, lingerie, yes, lingerie, lingerie. Yeah. Um, so it was a bit of a picture that was a bit weird. I'm like, okay, well, Lord, why that picture? So that was the question. Why did I see that way? And and suddenly you get the floodgates of, you know, the word of the Lord, if you will, a flood of thoughts that were so quite accurate. It was just quite extraordinary that you now she's in a relationship and she's engaging in, in activities that end up with her getting pregnant and hanging up being a single mother and so on and so forth. I told her she didn't actually accept what you what said. I said, yeah, and uh, three months later, uh, guess what happened? Uh, she was um, she was uh, pregnant, pregnant, yeah, and the gentleman had run away. And long story short, her life was basically thrown into a bit of a mess. Mm. So we learned uh, what had happened. So in, in a good pastor, you know, shepherd, we went looking for her so that we can, you know, pick her up and offer all the help. But God did warn her that way. Yeah. And so when you are looking at this prophetic language and re- receiving a word from God, remember frame of reference, God speaks through dreams and visions. It could be a vision when you're half awake, half asleep. It could be a vision where you are actually fully awake. Mm. The last one I want to say is God can speak to you through your thoughts. Right. Don't dismiss your thoughts. If you have read scriptures over and over and over again, when you arrive at a particular set of situations, God can bring to your remembrance, to your attention, something that was already in scripture that is directly related to the situation that you're facing or the person is facing at the moment. Mm. So I want to go there before I say God can also speak to you in common language, but that will always have a biblical frame reference. Okay? So, 
for example, you can get, a, you know, a word of scripture that speaks exactly to your situation. Mm. You see, in the days when the apostles start to, to see phenomena happening, let's say, for example, the day of Pentecost. The day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit comes, and then they start to speak in tongues, and, and Peter wants to explain what's happening. What does he do? He pulls up a scripture. Yeah. He says, hey, look, don't be too scared about what you see happening here. This is understandable because it's scriptural. Yeah. God promised this and it will happen. In fact, in the very book of, you know, Act of the Apostles, uh, when Peter quotes the book of Joel, chapter 2, verse 28, it says, well, in the last day, I pour my spirit upon all flesh. Your sons and daughters will have visions and, uh, and dreams and so on and so forth. So he affirms that God is still in the business of giving people visions and dreams. Mm. So pay attention uh, to, you know, when God brings to remembrance the things that you've already read in Scripture. Uh, and last not least, God can speak to you through nature. Okay. Yep. Okay. God can speak to you through nature. Um, I, I'm reminded of the Lord saying to Jeremiah, what do you see? And Jeremiah says, I see an almond tree. So it's a, a branch of a tree, of an almond tree. And the Lord says to him, you have seen well because I watch over my word to fulfill it. Mm. God to say to Jeremiah, I will fulfill every word. When does he say to this to Jeremiah? Jeremiah is actually being, you know, arrested, chucked into a well because the word that he's speaking are not being believed. Mm. And so God says, okay, well, I want to give you, you know, a confirmation that I will fulfill my word. So he says, what do you see? Okay. And so I want to say God will use nature to speak to us. But remember, whatever the reading of the events within the nature you see, it is to do with the frame of reference. You know, the word of God will fill the earth like the waters fills the seas. You know, the Lord will take you and go, okay, well, do you see this? This is what I will do. Yeah. Okay? And so that, those kind of situations is also things to be expecting. That gives you, this is a basic level. Mm. At least you have some ideas, okay? Dreams and visions. God's word first, frame of reference. Visions and dreams. Vision of the day. You know, God's being to remembrance. Scriptures speak to your thoughts. And God can use, you know, the cultural general language to speak to you. Or he can use nature to speak to you. Yeah. So God does speak. Yes. Excellent. All right. You're listening to 105.1 Life FM, Bendigo's Positive Choice. And Samuel, you were talking before the break. Um, you just rounded up, really, yes. how we can hear the voice of God. Yes. So we're now going to have a bit of a look at the gifts of power. That's exactly right. And the gifts of power includes uh, gifts of faith, gifts of healings. Remember, gifts of healings is plural, gifts of healings. And then, uh, you know, the working of miracles. So those are the three uh, gifts of power. Let's start with the gifts of faith. Now, as we start with gifts of faith, I want to, you know, give, you know, some, some definitional contours so that we know exactly what we're talking about. The word faith, which, which in Greek comes uh, from uh, the word pistis, uh, or the verb, the verb is pistio, uh, pistis, which means trust, trust, just Flat out and simple, faith is not just this ability to concoct some weird imaginary beliefs uh, in your head that are irrational. No, mm. faith is just simply trust, full stop. In, in, uh, in, uh, in Latin is fide. Uh, that's where we get the word confidence from. Confide, con with 
and fide faith with faith confidence is so faith is confidence okay mm. be having confidence in something someone that's what faith faith is always got the object of that faith you place that faith in something or someone yeah so let's do that so that you know because every time you say faith people want to start concocting all sorts of ideas you know faith as though it's some the ability to believe in things that naive uh, uh, yeah yeah no nah, no nah, that's not faith at all mm. so the Bible uses the term the term faith uh, in in number of sets. Let me give you three categories here. The first category, faith, can be understood as a body of doctrine, a body of teaching. Ephesians chapter four. If you read from verse nine all the way, I think always verse fifteen, sixteen. Uh, if, if Ephesians talks about different ministries, and then it goes until we've arrived to the unity of the faith. In mm. other words the unity of the understanding of the body of doctrine. Okay? So, you know, give some apostles, pastors, prophets, teachers, you know, for the, you know, building up of the saints, for the work of the ministry, until we have all arrived to the unity of the faith. So faith in that particular uh, context is the body of teaching, body of doctrine. So mm. we come to the unity of understanding and believing in the same body of doctrine. So that's first category. Second category of faith is faith for salvation. You know, the expression of our trust in Christ that his death and his resurrection has afforded us forgiveness of sins, therefore we are saved. Okay? So that is the second category that the Bible expresses the word faith as faith unto salvation. Okay? Mm -hmm. You are saved. Now, I'm going to add the fourth category is faith as now that I've trusted in Jesus, my walk in him day by day by day until he returns, it's called the walk of faith. Okay? It is not walk of strange beliefs. <laughs> it is <laughs> nah. a walk of trust in him. Yeah. I trusted him to save me. I'm trusting him to walk with me from now on until he comes back. Mm -hmm. So that's three categories. Faith is your journey in Christ. Faith is the means of you by by grace through faith ye were saved. Mm. Okay, still Ephesians, and faith is the body of doctrine. That makes sense. Mm -hmm. Yep. Now every believer re recognizes that the gifts of faith that is being talked about here is very different from these three categories that I've just simply given. Yes. Okay. It is not faith as body of doctrine. It is not faith as faith unto salvation. Uh, the gift of faith that Apostle Paul is talking here is separate from these Corinthians were already in the faith. Mm. They were saved. They were walking the walk of faith. And yet it says that there is the gift of faith. So then we have to come to what is the definition of that particular gift of faith? Let me give it to you so that everybody can at least write down this gift of faith is this supernatural uh, if you will, unusual surge of confidence that God is going to act in a specific circumstance. Yeah. The gift of faith is a supernatural surge of confidence that God is going to act in a specific circumstance. And that kind of faith, uh, you know, the text that I use here is Mark chapter 11. Mark chapter 11. Very, very interesting text. Uh, if you can open it, everybody knows this story. Uh, sometimes we have very little time here on the radio. Uh, you know, I do 
you know, give you the story so everybody knows exactly, you know, uh, what, what story we're looking at. This is the story of Jesus facing the fig tree. Everybody knows that story. Jesus cursed the fig tree. Mm. He was on his way from Bethany to Jerusalem. And, uh, and so he, he, he gets along the way, he sees a fig tree, and he wants to go and get some figs, and there is no fig on the tree. And so what does the Lord do? The Lord goes to the tree, to the tree and he says to the tree, Hey, no one shall eat your fruit from now on. So you will not bear any fruit. And Mark tells us, because Peter is telling the story, mm. and what is interesting about it is because Peter is the narrator, and he makes sure that we know that Peter heard it when it was said. It says, all the disciples heard it. Yeah. Okay. And so you can imagine them looking at a very interesting set of situations. Well, he just walked to that tree and he said to the tree, nobody's going to eat your fruit. In other words, he's cursed the tree. They've never seen anything like it. Mm. So they, they note it. They pay attention. And he goes to Jerusalem. On his way back, Peter, because he's the one who's the narrator, mm. and he wants us to know that he was paying attention and he went all the way to check what had happened to the tree. This is basically the following day. Mm. And as he gets close to the tree, he notices that the tree had withered. Okay? Yeah. Let me read, like, we, we read um, uh, from verse 20, Mark 11, verse 20. And in the morning, as they went along, they saw the fig tree withered from the roots. Peter remembered and said to Jesus, Rabbi, look, the tree, the fig tree you cursed is withered. Mm. Have faith in God, says my NIV I'm reading right now. Have faith in God. Jesus answered, I tell you the truth. If anyone says to this mountain, go throw yourself into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he has said will happen, it will be done, it will be done for him. You know, yep. King James has got this way of saying, you know, if anything who said to this mountain, be, th be thou cast out and uh, thrown into the sea, you have whatever he says. Mm. Whatever he says. Now, what is interesting, when you, you know, are looking in the NIV, you got this little annotation. And, you know, the annotation then sends you to the bottom. So you can see, basically, in the original text in Greek, you know, the original rendering is have the faith of God. Mm -hmm. It is have the faith of God. That's the annotation. But you see, the translators couldn't really get it. What does it mean to have the faith of God? And so it made sense to translate faith in God now without realizing that the change of of and in makes a huge difference. Yes, it does. Do you know that I can have the faith in a leader and that is very different from having the faith of a leader. Mm. All right? Yeah. Have you ever worked with somebody who they've always had this extreme, extremely amazing courage, you know, to tackle things. When you're with them, you feel safe. You, you trust them because their courage will always get you through. Mm. But when they're not there, you're like, oh, he or she is very extraordinary how she does this, but I can't do what she does. Yeah. Make sense? Yeah. You can have, you know, the faith in, you can have faith in someone. It's different from having the faith of someone. Mm. You know, I would like to have the faith you have. Somebody sometimes says, you know, Samuel, you have this courage. I would like to have the courage you have. So here, Jesus exhorts them to say, this kind of 
events that you have just seen can only be done if you have the faith of God. The faith of God is the faith that let, let me put that makes faith. things happen. <laughs> yeah, let me let me let me put put faith back into trust. Trust, mm. yeah. Faith is trust. Yeah. Trust in something. Trust trust is always got the objects of that trust. So I can trust in you, trust in this chair to hold my body weight. I can trust that when I get here and I turn my phone on and do you know, live, it's going to work. I have a trust in mm. the engineer and stuff and so on and so forth. But also there's the trust in my ability. Like if I was coming here, I, I trust that I'm going to be able to communicate these things. I trust that I can do this. Now, you could put somebody else here who doesn't trust that they can do it. They can trust me that if I'm here, I'm going to do it. But they can't trust themselves that they can do it. Yeah. Now, I can sort of work with somebody in train and equip them to the point where they sort of start to have the same kind of trust I have in me. They have the same trust that they have the same capacity as the capacity that I have, mm. which is what you do. I, I used to be a muscle, uh, uh, you know, trainer. That's what you do when you train your, 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 uh, your students. You want to build their capacity and the trust in their capacity to be able to do and perform the things that you do. So then they have the same kind of trust in them as you do in your ability. So... In that sense, you can see Jesus invites the apostles here to have the faith, the kind of faith God has. God doesn't doubt himself, does he? No. Now, I've heard many preachers when they try to take this text, they want to take us into the realm of, you know, the fig tree could mean, you know, the, some problems you're facing. I, I don't mind that. It's an interpretive tool. But if you're standing in the story, you can't dismiss that the disciples saw a fig tree literally yeah, a literally, fig tree yeah. literally withered exactly and when jesus said that when you read the greek text says if you say to this mountain it is a sort of you know it's like he was pointing it remember the region is mountainous it's also you've got you know mount of olive is not very far from there okay and so you've got all sorts of mountains that is coming from bethany into jerusalem he wasn't talking metaphorically mm. He wasn't talking metaphorically. No. Now, we might have found it very hard to do because we don't believe that, the, well, why is God going to move the mountain for me? Well, no, he didn't say, you're just going to move mountains for your own personal pleasures. But there are moments and specific moments where you get the surge of trust in God that he is going to act. Yeah. It's the faith of God. It's yeah. the faith of God that he, he imparts into you to move and to make a declaration that, it is not you who are doing it. Don't get the big head. It is the faith of God that God is going to move here and it's going to do something extraordinary. And so in that sense, this is the kind of mountain moving faith. A surge in trust in God that is going to do something extraordinary. Mm. Well, that, that, and that's always exciting um, when, when God wants to do something extraordinary. Samuel, I don't think we're going to get through the gifts of power at this rate, but um, we've, we've got a short bit before we finish. So um, how do you want to round this particular section off? Well, I wanted to say that the believer must at least accept, or not, not must, but you know, the same way the gift of revelation mm. is God opens the curtain and shows you things that you had no access to. Yeah. 
Uh, the same way the gift of wisdom is God opens a curtain and tells you what you can do when, where, and how, mm. and to whom, and with whom, and why, so that you can have the wisdom, like in the case of Solomon. Um, at the same way, God can open the curtain to show you what demonic activities or angelic activities or what is happening in the human heart at the moment. Mm. God can give you, a, in a moment, a supernatural surge of confidence in Him that He's going to do something. Yeah. That's all it is. Yeah. The Lord is going to raise a dead person right here. And many people who are, who are not navigating in these areas, uh, they struggle with that. Mm. You know, you know. You see, uh, I give an example. Reynard Bonke uh, was one of these uh, you know, incredible evangelists. I did, um, you know, work with Reynard Bonke, not really, really up and close. I was not part of, uh, you know, Christ for All Nations ministry. But when he came to Africa, he gathered all, you know, churches and pastors. So we we're part of this big, massive committee of people that then worked with him uh, and with his team uh, for the salvation. People who were saved. You know, getting dispatched to whatever church they were going to go to. And I, I got to hear Rainer Bonke up and close. Like, the man, when he came to do those crusades, he didn't even say, well, I'm going to come there and I am going to preach the gospel. Maybe God may, you know, in his sovereignty, heal one or two people, you mm -hmm. know? No, it was like, no, come, Jesus will heal. You know, you come, you have a problem. Come, Jesus will heal you. This is this confidence the man had. Yeah. Which you could say, well, this man was actually moving in a gift of faith because, mm. you know, he, 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 would, he would say this will happen. In, and Rene Bonke didn't go laying hands on people. He didn't do it. No, he didn't. He stood just <laughs> on the pulpit and said, in the name of Jesus. Yeah. And, and as he, as he, I, I, I saw these miracles with my own eyes. Mm. So you see that kind of operation. Not everybody operates in that particular realm. It's a gift of God, but everybody can have access to the gift. Apostle Paul didn't say God is stingy with his gifts. You know, the Bible, Apostle Paul, when he talks about 1 Corinthians 11, 11, 12, 13, 14, he says, pursue the gifts. Mm -hmm. So someone can pursue the gift of the supernatural surge of the trust in God that God is about to do something. And why wouldn't God basically say, I'm, I'm going to do something extraordinary and supernatural here? Mm. And so you get those kind of moments. We saw them in the, in the life of Jesus all the time. Mm. Now we can say, well, Jesus was the son of God, you know. He, yeah, well, yes, but he, on earth, he walked and operated in the power of the Holy Ghost, which we do have. Yes. Okay. Jesus said, things that I've done, greater things shall you do. Let's not put this category. It's, it's been at the undoing of the church to walk away from the power of God and start to sort of rationalize, you know, the lack of power of God in the church. Mm. Jesus didn't say, well, I've done great things, but you, oh, you guys will just be tiny and small. And that's not, not greater things shall you do more than I have done. So he opened the gate. All authority and power was given to me in heaven and earth. Therefore, you go in my name, shall heal the sick, cleanse the leper, you know, raise the dead and so on and so on. The apostles did it. Mm. <clears throat> okay. Yeah. So in that sense, we've dealt with, you know, the secessionist uh, argument. So we're not going back there. I'm just simply saying that the power of God, the faith of God for supernatural action is still here. Yes. Let me give you a bit of a couple of my, you know, examples in my own personal walk and journey with God. I have um, at least I can say uh, I have seen three resurrections uh, in my walk with Christ. Three resurrections. And the first one was, you know, a young lady, 18 years old. 
you know, that in Africa, you know, you don't have, you know, ambulance hospitals. So when that kind of stuff happens, you know, you, you, you either accept the faith and you're going to take the, 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 the dead body to the morgue. And that's that. So the, the, the death of the young lady was, you know, observed at 11 p.m. And I got called around 3, 3.34 a.m. in the morning. It was quite a while. Mm. And so when I got there, you know, the family was crying. The young preacher was, was one of my sons in the ministry. I uh, had been praying. Nothing was happening. And when I walked in there, I, you know, when you, you've never interacted with death, death, death. Death is scary. Death is cold. It's there. It stares you in the face. It's unmistakable. Mm. The body was cold, stiff. The person was dead. So uh, I, I walked in there, but I had this surge of confidence that everybody calm down. She shall come back to life. On which basis did I say that? You know, my mind is like, Samuel, don't be, don't be an idiot. Don't be crazy. But I walked in there and I started to pray and the family was crying. And I, after a while, I'm like, these people don't believe. I said to them, hey, everybody step outside. And so the family stepped outside and I was remained with Israel and I. And then we prayed. It took us about 10 to 12 minutes. And the girls came, the girl came back to life. Wow. She's married. She's kids. She's got grown-up kids right now. Mm. And that's I prayed for a girl who had basically cerebral meningitis. She died in my arms. Yeah. Sent back from the hospital. Told not nothing we can do. It's gone past the stage we can do anything. We can't keep you here in the hospital. She died. We prayed for her. I had this surge of confidence. God is going to do it. And she came back to life. And meningitis, cerebral meningitis, is gone. Yeah. Took her back to the hospital. Test done, no cerebral meningitis to be found. God is still in the business of doing supernatural, amazing things. He is in the business of doing supernatural, amazing things. And we're going to uh, c- cover that a little bit more next week. Um, so thank you for, to all our listeners for being here. Thank you, Samuel, for your time again today.